Um, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Appreciate Brad uh, filling in for me last Sunday and then Ripken the Sunday prior to that. Of course, now he is uh, in Liberty and uh, visiting churches there, trying to find his own place. And so we continue to lift them and our other students up in prayer. Um, I was uh, in a Korean church last Sunday, uh, so that was different. Um, it was an English-speaking Korean church in uh, Los Angeles. Um, non-denominational is where the, the couple I was working with, they have been attending. And so I was very much thinking of you, uh, praying for you, though the time was different. Uh, time hours, about three-hour time difference there. Um, and so glad to be back. Uh, and continuing in our study of Ephesians as we're moving in chapter 6, uh, continuing this theme of what does submission, what's the role of submission uh, as it being a mark of being filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it has that mandate be filled, yielded, controlled, satisfied by the Spirit of God in your life. And it will have certain qualities that will come out, including uh, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, uh, always for everything, to God the Father, and then submitting to one another. And so we talked about the singing, the praising, the internal worship of our heart, the radical gratitude, and then a spirit of submission of one to another that is a mark of the Spirit of God in His people. And then we go into the end of chapter 5, and it talks about what that looks like in different roles. Uh, The wives to the husbands, and then the husbands loving their wives. To the children, to the parents, and then the parents uh, nurture, raising up the children in a way that's nurturing to the Lord. And then in verse 5 through 9, it has this last realm of slaves to masters. And in our case, in our culture, uh, we're going to talk about employees to employers. Uh, and how that works. And so if you think about that, uh, your life of, your marriage life if you're married, your life with your parents or your children, and a life with your employer or your employees, does that not make up perhaps maybe 95% of your life? Think about that. Uh, In these realms makes up most of where our life is lived. And the Bible is saying the Spirit of God is to have an impact in this. When you are submitted to the Spirit of God, it flows into these arenas, these spheres of your living. And so the challenge is, what can we learn about your worship to God by looking at your work life? What can you learn about your worship of, lo- of, of the, our Lord by your marriage life, by your, uh, your home life with your parents or with your children? And so that seems to be what's very much the case, the evidence here as we read this. Now, this issue of authority is a pretty th- big thing, isn't it? I, I've noticed how many times it comes up even in our house. It is a continual refrain. I as, as thought of a couple cases even just the last few days maybe even just yesterday uh, as I think through uh, one uh, we have a discussion in our, in our uh, lunch or one of our meals and and uh, started coming to uh, some game that the family had invented the children invented and 
uh, one of our children said to another, you do not have the authority to make up the rules in this game. You know, and, and so that was kind of a, an interesting point, um, and that was, uh, of course, disputed. Uh, and then later on, we had one child say to another, who made you the fashion police? Um, because they were seeking approval about what would be worn today to church. Uh, uh, and so that was just a, uh, an, uh, an episode of one day yesterday of just how many times it came up, this issue of authority. Where does the authority come from? I was reading in Scripture, uh, and I was thinking about what Jesus had to say. John chapter 19, verse 11, when Jesus was in a situation where he was under authority with life at stake, Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus was making the statement that authority ultimately comes from God. And so we need to keep that in mind. As we live with authority, we need to understand what it says about God. And how we treat authority often says much of what we think about God. And so let's keep that in mind as we read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And we'll focus on verse 5 through 9. But I think for our purposes, let's start by reading Ephesians chapter 5. Looking at verse 15 through 21, and then chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. And honor of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, Do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. So let me just kind of cross some cultural uh, gaps here. Uh, First, uh, understand when the Bible talks about slaves and masters in that day and time, it's not... Uh, what we would understand in the Western view of what slavery was as in in America, nor as it is currently being practiced in human trafficking. Uh, But it was, by and large, a huge portion 
of the Roman Empire, in fact, as many as 30% of the population, would have been in the process of being a slave. So in a a group like this, there'd probably be about 15 to, to 20 of you that would be in a church setting that were in this condition of slaves, and of course, with the other half being the masters. Uh, So in this culture, and in Ephesians, they were worshiping together as masters and slaves. It was a situation where uh, though they belonged as property to a person, there were uh, measures and means of which they could work out of that situation. So by the time they were 30, most of them had worked out of that practice. And so it was an, an economic station to be in to help get to a free state uh, as all well as to be trained in certain vocation. Uh, and so it was seen as a viable option. It was not practiced racially. In other words, it wasn't one segment that was uh, brought into slavery, but it was across the board. Uh, and so it was a little bit different than what we would know historically in America, which uh, brought its slavery cruelty to a whole new level. Uh, and so when we look at this today, uh, it's not so much speaking about uh, endorsing slavery and masters, as is saying in the condition that these people were in, this is how we go about it. For our practical purpose today, it makes most sense to apply this as to employers and employees, uh, which most of us find ourselves in today. And we can understand this as it would apply in this case. So slaves, employees, when we see the word masters, think employers, uh, and we will understand the principles that should be applied to our life. Now keep in mind, uh, when we ask, what, uh, what is the will of God? That's a big thing in Ephesians 5. Remember that? Do the will of God. Don't waste your time. It's short. Do the will of God. As we read, he goes on and, and says, look, as we let the Spirit of God rule in our life, there's going to be this spirit of submission to one another, and in that, the will of God will be revealed. In other words, it doesn't tell us everything. It tells us, the Word of God tells us exactly what we need to know. But then there's going to be these areas that's what we call gray. Uh, For instance, we know from the Word of God, don't get drunk. It says that in Ephesians 5 verse 18. That's very clear. Uh, But then there's this other realm of, well, what about all these other decisions where there's not these prohibitions? There's certain principles like what we find here. Husbands, love your wives. That's going to govern a whole realm of actions and priorities. Wives, honor your husbands. Respect your husband in submission to him. That's going to also include a whole realm of gray things. Uh, Then we got this with children to the parents. That's going to cover a lot of things right there as children honoring their parents. And then parents, how to take care of your children in a way that's nurturing uh, in their spirit to the Lord. In a way that reflects the Lord. Covers another realm of gray area. And then there's the employer and employee also. We're going to see that this covers a lot of gray things, but it's governed by this principle of honoring the authority that God places in our life. So let me just share with you four qualities of what is the Holy Spirit-filled employee. What are the characteristics of this person? And I love the fact that it has no mention whatsoever uh, as to what the nature of the work is. Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether you're cleaning the floors or whether you're managing the books. It has no criteria there. It's just in this situation. Now, understand, in all of this, there is nowhere 
a mandate for the employee, the child, the wife to obey the father, the husband, or the employer when they are commanding and directing in directions that are counter to God's word. Understand that. Uh, This is not a, a, a blank check. But there is a higher principle of honoring God in all these things. Now, as we read this, uh, what's the first quality? As we see in verse 5, it says, Bond servants or uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with sincere heart as you would Christ. We've seen in this that verse 21 of chapter 5 governs all of these things. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to... Honor authority out of reverence for Christ, that Christ becomes the motive in these things, and that we play the role of Christ. So the wife plays the role of Jesus and his submission to the Father. And the husband plays the role of Christ as the groom to the church. We see this in uh, the parents playing the role of God uh, as being a heavenly father. And reflecting him, and that the children play the role of Christ as Jesus was obedient to the Father in doing his will. So, too, out of reverence for Christ, now it comes into the workplace. So, the first quality is that the Holy Spirit filled employee will honor authority from the heart in the workplace, they will honor authority from the heart. In the workplace. Now I'm going to, as I say that, I know it's not popular to love authority in your workplace. Put up with, yes. Tolerate, yes. And complain against, yes. As we think about the conversation matters that often take place among employees when the employer is not there. There's often a seed of cynicism, of distrust of the authorities that are there. And if we're not careful, here in America, we can take that and make it across the board. Make it across the board that all authority should be what? Questioned? Isn't a bumper sticker? Question authority? Uh, And there is a role in place to use your brain and use your mind in this. But there's also for the believer an understanding that authority comes from God. And it is a way to love authority. I love God. I I was meeting with a couple, a young couple, and I was just talking to them. They had been married long and uh, trying to to get into their life, and, and as we were talking and then just seeking some counsel for me, I was meeting with them, and I started talking with the, the wife that was there, and, and she was saying, you know, I'm really struggling with my work. It is such a toxic environment. And she went on and shared with me how uh, it's unfair, and how uh, uh, the boss, the employers treat the employees, and it was wrong. And she just said, you know, I'm struggling because I'm trying to set my mind on things above. I'm trying to set my mind on heaven, on Christ and His rule. But I've got this, I've spent all my time in this workplace and it's not helping me because it's miserable. 
I'm thinking that maybe I need to change my job. And there is certainly a, a place and time for us here in America where we can just change our jobs. That's an amazing thing. They didn't have that luxury when Paul was writing this. You, you need to thank God for that. That you can change your workplace. But understand, there is also a place where uh, you need to also respect authority. And so as this young lady was telling me this, and she, she used this phrase, set your mind on things above. And I thought, well, wait a second. Where are you getting that from? It's Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right home. Right head. So do you know what Colossians 3 says? It, it begins this way in verse 2. Set your minds on things above. By the time you get down to verse 22 and 25, it says something else. What does it mean? How do you set your mind on things above in your workplace? When you've got bosses who don't recognize good work because you're not in the the right group how do you set your mind on things above in that situation well it's very specific colossians 3 in that same phrase of set your mind on things above slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the lord doesn't it sound familiar Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You have here a parallel account of what's said here in Ephesians. And so the thing that we've got to understand is that the Holy Spirit-filled employee puts their, uh, uh, recognizes the authority, honors authority, and they're able to do this from the heart. How can they do this from their heart to say, I'm not just going to give lip service, but I'm going to love authority. Maybe I don't love that person, but God's going to help me work on that. I'm going to love them, but I have a hard time liking them. But I'm going to love the role of authority they have in their life because this authority is representative of God. See, going back to Ephesians, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, how can I do that? As you would Christ. This is what you call vicarious authority, all right? In other words, by giving honor to the authorities in my life, I'm giving honor to God. And the vice versa is also true, isn't it? When I dishonor the authorities in my life, I'm dishonoring God, who gave that authority. That's been the principle you've seen with fathers and children, husbands and wives, and now he's applying this to us as employees, to employers. And so what I would bring to your mind that it says, with a sincere heart. I want to bring to you an example of Paul. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1 through 5, we're going to see how Paul does this with Religious leaders, spiritual leaders. He is being falsely accused. He's being brought before the religious authorities of that time. This is Ananias, the high priest. Looking intently, this is Acts chapter 23, verse 1 through 5. Looking intently in the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, 
God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For as written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. This is interesting exchange here, isn't it? Unjust. Wrong. This authority figure was acting as, as Paul said, as a hypocrite. But Paul did not recognize who he was. So he called him out. But when Paul recognized the role that this man played, as wrong as this man was, still... He acknowledged his own wrong before this group that was running against him. I see this example of here is Paul working with the Holy Spirit in life. And when, in this moment when the Holy Spirit is in control of Paul's life, that even in that time when there is an unjust act being done by a spiritual ruler at that time, Paul acknowledges that this is right and he acknowledges what is wrong and his words and actions before Ananias. And so you see Paul himself being ruled by the Spirit of God, taking him down this road. And I'm just going to say to you that with there is a heart within you that is bitter, bitter toward the employers at your job. That is an issue between you and the Lord that that you are not submitting to before God. And this word of God is coming to you just to bring it to your attention to say, there is something you're treasuring, you're holding on to that you are regarding more than the authority of God. That you're saying that God's authority is not enough. You have to have something else to maintain some joy, some sense of purpose in your life. And it's acting as an idol and keeping you in the way of being obedient to God. It is kind of natural for us to have problems with authority. That's our natural disposition. You realize that? Just work in the preschool area. You see, the natural disposition is have a heart against God or against authority, have problems with authority. But it is the work of the Spirit of God to put into our heart a desire for authority. Because it is within the authority that we know the blessing of God. I'm going to keep on going here. I just... Before I do, in fact, why don't we do this? Before we go on, I'm going to ask that we take a time of just prayer. I want you to read verse 5. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Hearing this statement, Holy Spirit-filled employee honors authority from the heart in the workplace. I think that we might just need to take a moment and look at our own heart and ask, is there bitterness the resentment is their resistance to this idea. And ask God to start dealing with us in that. And it could be a past employer. You could be retired, but you've got that, that issue still. That's hindering you. It's in the way of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Let's take a moment just silently just pray.
And Father, you know every one of our hearts as we look back on our events this past week, months, maybe years, bring to our mind that episode, that conversation, or maybe just that attitude we had in our heart. Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our heart. Lord, you and your word of God discerns between the thoughts and intents of our heart. And Lord, we want you to be pure, reigning in our heart. We do not want to have a, a pocket that is outside of your control. So Lord, we want to confess that attitude. Lord, will you direct our heart to know what to do with that, to acknowledge it as wrong, we seek your forgiveness. Show us what we must do to make it right, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. We keep on reading down to verse 6. He has this contrast. He says, obey your earthly masters, verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. There, there you go again, that we are employees of Christ, regardless of our profession. I love the fact that there's no secular, sacred divide here. It all belongs to God. Every single bit of it belongs to God. And so to our work. So as employees of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart again. You have that phrase again, from the heart again. I think so many times we, we often just do what's well, what's needed? This, this is acceptable work. But acceptable work rarely has a heart in it, does it? Have a, a heart-filled work. So heart Holy Spirit-filled employee puts their heart into the work. I think the problem that we have with this is that we know we can get by without doing that, don't we? Get by. What does that mean, get by? We get by. No one's going to rebuke us over it. No one's going to reproach us. No one's going to dock our pay. No one's going to demote us. That means that's what we mean by get by. We know we can get by without doing the heart-filled work. But the problem is that we've got totally the wrong accounting standard going on. It's not what is being done by the employer seeing us, but what God sees us do. That he is watching and he is aware and he knows when our heart is in it. Holy Spirit-filled employee puts their hearts into the work. When the Spirit of God is moving in our heart, he's going to be pushing us. He's going to change our motives, change our directives. I, I remember talking with a, a, a Belarusian pastor uh, a number of years ago. And he used to serve in the Russian army. He was forced to serve in the Russian army. And uh, it was fascinating talking to him because you're know, growing up. Yeah, I grew up, you know, watching Rocky and, and you know, USSR. You know, they, they were the enemy. And here I was trying to wrap my mind around my believing brother that was a, a pastor serving in the Soviet army. And he said to me, he said, you know, uh, <laughs> he said, we came to find that the commanding officers were starting to look for Christians to serve in the army. I said, What? 
In my mind, it just blew my mind that Christians were serving in the Soviet army. I just, all kinds of cultural things were going on here. He said, yeah, they were looking for Christians. And I said, but this is the, the Soviet. This is communist, right? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't acknowledge God, but they looked for people that God was in. Because they saw that their serving in the army was different. I think about that and I think, what, what a statement. How, how do you share the gospel with an atheist commander in the Soviet Army? You work as unto the Lord. And they noted the difference. And so here you have this idea. The Holy Spirit and field employee seeks to serve uh, or seeks to uh, puts their heart into the work. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, knowing that we... We're serving the Lord. We're doing the will of God from the heart when we're doing what the boss told us to do. And if God has told us to do it through the boss, then it's worth doing well. Is it not? Because it's about God. Not about whether or not this person treated me well. I remember... One of the times I was preaching early on, I was in school and, and seminary and had the opportunity to preach at my dad's church. And uh, it was a Sunday evening time. And uh, there that morning, we had the president of Southeastern Seminary was attending the church, Dr. Paige Patterson. And he was there, and I was in his class at the time. And uh, he saw my name for that night. He said, So you're, you're preaching tonight? I said, Yes, yes, I am. Okay. He had already said in class that he often would show up when he found his students preaching somewhere. I went home and sweated like I've never sweat. I was so anxious, so nervous. And then a, another, if you've been a, in the area a long time here, you might know the name Claude Walker. He was a pastor many years ago in Wake Crossroads and other places. And, um, he was going to be there. He was someone that was kind of as a mentor to my dad. Uh, I thought, oh my goodness, all these people are going to be here. I start praying. <laughs> I said, Lord, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to preach out of passage here. And it started to occur to me, why am I so worked up now? That I know that Dr. Paige Patterson is going to be there, Claude Walk and all these others are going to be there. Why am I so worked up now when all the while God's going to be there? <laughs> and it hit me. I was starting to go down people-pleasing, but God was using my sinful motives of people-pleasing to show me what it ought to look like to be God-pleasing. To say, forgive me, Lord, for seeing someone's face as bigger than yours. To try to seek impressing them more than impressing you. Listen, when we are working in our workplace, that's for me preaching, but that's the same for you. Isn't it? And, and you know how it is when, when the boss comes around. Everyone sets up more straight. You know? They, they, they cut off the games. And, you know, they, they start going to work. Get, pick up the phone. You know, they start writing. Whatever. It's to say, look, God's there. He is aware. And he sees. And here's the beauty. Right now you may feel the fear of that. But listen, there's a beauty to that too. Okay? Here's the beauty of it. Your job might be cleaning floors. It might be selling airtime on the radio. It might be uh, being an interface between 
a, a company and the customers. It, it, it could be writing books. It, it could be keeping up the, the financial figures. It, it could be selling uh, billboards. It could be any number of things that you do. And you might sometimes wonder, what, what's the big deal of this? In the grand scheme of things, what is my life doing? Especially when you see things undone just in a hurry. I was thinking of hearing about future of self-automated cars. What that would do to taxi drivers and Uber drivers. Oh my goodness, you know. This fear of, of our job being obsolete. And the work that we do being obsolete. Listen, here's the beauty of this passage. That doesn't matter if it gets replaced by a machine someday. It doesn't matter if your work gets undone at some point. It doesn't matter that when you get out of your job, no one uh, sees fit to replace that job. It doesn't matter if that's the case, because if you're working as unto the Lord, then all of a sudden, what seems mundane and seems like is going to go into vanity and emptiness of things, now all of a sudden has an eternal value. And it will be brought up. It will be brought up. How do I know that? It's as if Paul is saying right in this passage, you go down to verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. And stop your threatening, uh, talking about the employer. He says, look, there is a God who has no partiality. In other words, there is going to be a God who judges these things. And there is going to be a God who rewards these things. So serve as unto the Lord. So it doesn't matter if your job becomes obsolete. Absolutely not the question anymore. The question is, what's your heart service? You seeking to serve with all your heart. We keep on reading verse 7. Holy Spirit and filled employee. No one puts their heart into the work. No one honors authority from the heart in the workplace. But they also seek to serve. And the workplace. They're looking to serve. You see that in verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. Now here's the beauty of this. Uh, let me just share some alternate motives. Rendering service with a good will as to a promotion. Rendering service with a good will as to job security. Rendering service with a good will as to a raise. What's the problem with all three of those motives? Job security, promotion, raise. One glaring problem with that, right? It may not happen. <laughs> that's the problem with that. And what happens when that's your motive and it doesn't happen? You're, you're rendering service. You're looking for ways to serve good for a job promotion. But when Jobs come up instead of you getting it. It's this young person that came in that happens to know some people. What do you do with that? That can send you off into a bitter tailspin. This is for our own good, but it's also for the glory of God. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. It is a much more sure reward. Knowing, verse 8, here's the explanation, here's the reason why. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord. Whether he's bond servant or free, doesn't matter if you're an employer or employee. 
doesn't matter if you're white collar or blue collar. It has no difference whatsoever. It is sure. Verse 9. One last attribute bring to the employer. Masters do the same to them. <laughs> All that's been said, you do the same thing. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Don't use your authority to abuse, threatening, scaring them. Use your authority as the same as what the employees are doing. To do it to bless others and be a glory to God. Do the same. So Holy Spirit-filled employers uses their authority to bless others, not curse others. What, what do we often use our authority for? Is it, is it mainly to store it up, hoard it up, see how much authority we can do? And the, the key question, isn't it, being when we go to a place of job and we ask someone that owns a, a business, say, how many employees do you have? Why do they ask that question? It's often the, the main purpose a lot of times in workplaces is how many people can I get to do my will? How many employees can I have? But for the employer is to say, how many can I bless? How many can I bless with this work? Which includes whoever owns the company. And if they own a company, what's the business for? What's the point of it? Is it blessing others? Which includes the customer. Which includes the co-workers. To say, how can this work be a blessing to others? I was <clears throat> uh, met a young guy a couple months ago. We were working out together. He's probably in his 20s, works in downtown Raleigh. And uh, he was sharing with me, and we were just getting to know each other. He said, well, my goal here is to do some church planning. I said, really? Tell me about that. What, what you know, what, are you, you, you teach the Bible? You do music? What, what's your role? I said, no, no, I don't do, I can't do any of those. I, I, my job is to make money. I said, really? I said, yes. There are places where they go in Northwest where there's some church planting, has high cost of living. I'm going to take my technology job that I have, I think he was working at Red Hat at the time, and I'm going to take this, I'm going to go where these church plans, planners are, and I want to go, and I'm going to use my money. I'm single, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to take large percentage of what I make and put it to the church plan. I said, outstanding. That's amazing. But that is what you do. To say, the purpose of my life is to bring glory to God through the making of disciples. Then it ought to look something like that at some point. I was working with this couple doing the Taekwondo uh, thing this past weekend. This is a couple I baptized here, Korean. Uh, he was Korean. She's American. They're married. They're uh, expecting a child. And they started a dojong, uh, which is a um, Taekwondo place uh, in Los Angeles area. So they've just been meeting a year. Uh, they have over 100 students there. And uh, I was just talking to them about their plans, their future, and what they want to do. And said, so, you know, our goal is, is someday maybe to have 100 places. I said, we want to be a blessing. He said, when we got married, um, people gave money to us, and we used it to start a, uh, build a, a church building in India. I said, that's outstanding. I said, 
we want, so we've got two employees that we got, the two friends of ours that came from, from Nightdale, and now they're living in, in Santa Clarita. And I uh, said, so they're, they're students. I said, we want to help them. We've, we're paying their, their rent, and we want to help them start their own school. We're going to use the income that comes in, and we're going to put it toward them to start it up. I thought, what a great example of what it looks like to use your business to bless others. Holy Spirit and field employees use their authority to bless others. And so let me ask you, if you are an employer, if you are in a position where you're managing others, let me ask you, how are you using your authority to help them, bless them, and use it to bless your company and, and prayerfully have a company someday that will be a blessing to God's kingdom? If you ever get in a position to own a business, I would commend to you this passage to say, use it for the kingdom of God. Use it for the glory of God. I keep reading this and it says, stop your threatening. Know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no partiality with him. God sees us. God sees us managing others. God sees us working with others. You may feel like you're in a place where it doesn't matter anymore. No one really sees what you do. Have you ever wondered when you go out, if you ever go hiking, this is still a pretty good time to go hiking. You go out to some remote place, and you may see a field with wildflowers. In fact, you might go someplace no one goes to. And yet there's this beautiful display of wildflowers. And you ever ask yourself, wow, all these beautiful wildflowers are foliage coming up soon and no one here to see them. Why did God allow a field of wildflowers to grow where no one can see them? Have you thought about that? Why are there beautiful visas in the, in the fall of coming up where no one will ever drive up on a, on a parkway somewhere to see it? But yet it'll be beautiful. Why is there such beauty in this creation when there's no humans always to see these things? Because it's God. And God is beautiful. And God is about His glory. And it doesn't really matter whether you see it or not. God sees the field of wildflowers. And he smiles because it reflects his glory. Listen, here's what I'm saying to you. You may be in a place where no one sees, no one recognizes, no one says, commends you and calls you into the office saying you're doing such a good job. You may be in such a place like that, but it does not stop the motivation for us to live to the glory of God. And what that looks like in the workplace is honoring the authority that's there. It's to serve the Lord with all our heart in that place and to seek to do good in that place. And it doesn't matter if the employer or anyone else sees it, God sees it. And he brings glory to his name. I love the fact that Jesus, as our employer, blesses us. He blesses us. He did so at his expense, his blood, his sacrifice. 
brought it to us so that we might know the forgiveness, the Spirit of God, to be in His family, that we might have eternal purposes. Jesus is not asking us to do something that He Himself has not done. Why don't we take some time? Let's pray about this. Perhaps God's spoken to you again about something else. I'm going to take some time just silently for us to pray. And I'll close with some prayers. Let's pray.